Welcome to National Energy Talk. I'm Mark Stansbury, and our guest today is Rebecca Ponton. Rebecca is a, an author, a, a journalist, editor-in-chief of Oil Woman Magazine. And I must say, first of all, before I welcome you officially, Rebecca, to the show is we owe a lot to Emmanuel Sullivan, who has done so much for oil men and women throughout the United States and actually throughout the world. Rebecca, welcome to National Energy Talk. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're very excited about this. It's a kickoff, uh, first full-length episode that uh, that you're going to be uh, a guest, and so we're very pleased about that. And you, you have a lot to tell us. We have a lot to go over from, but we've got to talk about your early days all the way up to the point of what uh, do we need to look for as far as the future of energy. And we're going to talk about that. But first of all, what an interesting life you've had, uh, Rebecca. I mean, uh, it's an amazing journey that you you have had. And and I look at the journey beginning in, in your home state of Texas. You'll start there, and we'll keep adding to that uh, journey as we go. That sounds great, Mark. Yes, actually, um, I grew up around the oil and gas industry. My father was involved with it. Uh, he was a vice president at Coastal States under Oscar Wyatt, for uh, those of your listeners that can remember that far back. <laughs> mm -hmm, sure can, yes. Yes, that was in Corpus Christi, Texas, my hometown. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I grew up around that. But like most kids, you didn't really know what your dad did. And mm -hmm. um, I do remember him teaching us how to um, read read the stock market, which was then in the newspaper. You know, you looked it mm -hmm. up in the newspaper. Right. So that's that's mainly what I remember about the oil and gas industry as a kid. My brothers would work on rigs in the summer. That was kind of a, a rite of passage uh, in South Texas. But I never I never thought that I would have any anything to do career-wise with the oil and gas industry. And um, as, you, as you mentioned, I have had a, a very interesting journey, and that was thanks to my uh, ex-husband's job with Halliburton. Uh, oh. And we lived and traveled all over the world, and that is one of the great benefits of being in this industry. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you lived, and you, what was it, 14 years or so that you lived internationally? I mean, you, you were in the oil and gas uh, industry from that perspective, what countries or some of the countries that that you actually lived in and and uh, learning the, you know, the cultures and so forth. I think it's very interesting. It really was. It was just an incredible experience, Mark. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I was able to have it. Like I said, I think it's one of the great benefits of being in this industry. I was the, the trailing spouse, <laughs> but because of my ex-husband's job with Halliburton, we lived in the United Arab Emirates for a total of about 12 years. That was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. and, that, and that was just a wonderful experience. Our son was born there, and so he had this great, you know, childhood experience of growing up in a very uh, international society, mm -hmm. and we did also uh, live briefly in two countries in the former Soviet Union. We lived in Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, mm -hmm. and during our time in Azerbaijan, I was very fortunate to work for the, U, uh, the UN, the United Nations, in a freelance capacity, and I wrote two booklets about the work that they did there. So it was just, uh, I, I really treasure that time and I'm very thankful that I was able to have that experience. 
Well, you've mentioned uh, that you were, when we, in our discussions, you were a landman at one point. You began, began your journey as a landman, but I guess journalist first, landman second. What, what was yes. the order of that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, journalist, yes. journalist yeah. first, for sure. That was, that was always mm-hmm. my, um, my goal and my dream. You know, growing, from the time I was young, I enjoyed writing and, um, you know, so that I never really had a backup plan. So luckily for me, I mean, I did a lot of other things to pay the bills, but luckily, <laughs> luckily mm-hmm. for me, the writing thing worked out. And um, particularly when we lived overseas, uh, there were a lot of great opportunities just to write about lots of different things. And then when we did return to the United States in 2006, uh well, that's when we came back. But in 2011, I had a friend who was working uh, in the oil and gas industry as a landman, and she needed help on a project. And she said, well, I think your background as a journalist, you know, doing research and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, would be helpful. Well, you know this too, Mark, because you're a la- mm-hmm. you, you were that's a landman. That's, that's right. That's where it all began. That's right. <laughs> that's where you got your start. Yeah. So, so I, again, very fortunate, right place at the right time. This was during the Eagle Ford shell boom. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was definitely a fortuitous time to join the industry. And uh, so I, I started helping her on this project and uh, became a landman. And so it's, uh, it's been 10 years, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. on that journey as Thank well. Thank you. Thank well, your, you. Journalism, so, your, your journalism has been uh, definitely the tie-in to where you are today. And we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, but uh, but I definitely want to hear more about the landman experience. Was Did you go to the courthouses then? Did you buy leases? I guess combination of both? Or what, what areas did you work on when it came to be a landman? Yes, a combination of both things, as you mentioned, running title, going to the courthouses, digging through the dusty old ledgers, and and then mm-hmm. also, uh, you know, buying and selling oil and gas leases, depending on the client. And um, I, kn- I know a lot of landmen love that aspect of it, the kind of wheeling and dealing. And, um, and I certainly enjoyed that, too. But believe it or not, I loved going to the courthouses and doing the research a lot right. of people yeah a lot of people would probably say oh that's the part i'd rather not do but <laughs> i i always describe the job of being a landman as sort of a combination between uh genealogy work and detective mm-hmm. work and right. you know yourself uh that you know sometimes there's there's a lot of work involved in tracking down the the landowners and the mineral owners and I always joke that I kind of take that as a personal challenge that I, I am going to find this person. <laughs> and mm-hmm. nowadays with uh, so much being online and a lot of the courthouse records are digitized, you don't, you know, you don't always have to go to the courthouse anymore. You can just go online to one of these services and, and find all your records there. But um, in, especially in Texas, I don't know how it is in Oklahoma where you are, but in Texas, uh, a lot of these smaller uh, counties, you do still have to go to the courthouse. And um, I really enjoy that, that part of it. You know, you you trace the history back and uh, find the missing pieces to the puzzle. And um, I just, I find it all very interesting. Well, you went back to journalism. Uh, you've, you've been a writer or contributor to several. I noticed the Forbes, you're, I, I guess currently you're still a Forbes contributor as well. Is that correct? 
Yes, that's to Forbes online platform. So not the not the print magazine. Those are two separate things. But um, mm-hmm. I am an energy contributor to uh, Forbes.com and have you know had the pleasure of interviewing so many interesting people, mainly women, but you know, a couple mm-hmm. of men too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so of course my focus is is always on the women because uh, they are a minority in the industry and I feel like they haven't had as much of a chance to tell their story. They haven't had the spotlight shown on them quite as much. And so I do like to seek out and find those women. It's particularly interesting to find the women who were among the first to start in the early days mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, hear what it was like for them. And that's, that's kind of how I merged the two interests. You touched on this and um, it's, mm-hmm. It started when when I became a landman, and uh, in my experience, I'm not saying this is everyone's, but in my experience in in Central and South Texas, it was kind of an even split between men and women. You know, you'd go mm-hmm. to the courthouse, you'd see about half men, half women, and I didn't mm-hmm. really think anything about it until I started going to to energy conferences, and then I noticed that you know sometimes you could look around a big conference center. And be hard pressed to find another woman in attendance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that that started my that uh, created the curiosity to to find these women that were in the industry. And uh, then that eventually became the basis for a book that I wrote. Let's talk about your book. And it came out in 2019, I believe if that's correct. Mm-hmm. And please tell us about the book, the title of the book, why the title. And uh, I'm, of course, I'm intrigued by it, as you know, uh, being being in the natural gas business, as well as, uh, you know, I was I mentioned to you before uh, the importance of women in energy and that uh, in 2007 in Oklahoma, I was chairing a salute to the past, present and future, but also salute to women in energy for our 100th anniversary in Oklahoma centennial. And and uh, that uh, when when I came across. Uh, your, your title of the book that really grabbed me. Please tell us about your book and why you wrote the book and the importance of your book for women. Sure. Well, I will say, first of all, Mark, that having uh, men in positions of leadership, such as yourself, uh, being allies and advocates is what's going to help get more women in the industry. It's what's going to help create diversity, not just gender diversity, but also racial diversity. And and these are things that uh, we need in the industry to have new ideas, to have innovation and, um, you know, think think differently as we go forward in this energy transition. But mm-hmm. getting back to your question. So, you know, once I, I started wondering where these women were and why we didn't know more about them, because as, as a journalist, my <laughs> my solution to every problem is buy the book and read it. And (laughs) so when I started looking for books about women in the oil and gas industry, I really couldn't find them. Uh, And I I found that strange. I thought, well, there have there have to be some books, you know, books have to have been written about some of these women in the early days. And there was one book called. um, Oh, Queen Queen of the Oil Club. And um, that is a fantastic book. very interesting about a woman named Wanda Jablonski. And she traveled all over the world, particularly in the Middle East. And um, 
you know, dealt with all these, not just men, but, you know, men, men from other, other cultures and other societies that we're not used to having women <laughs> just, right. just in the room, talking to them, being, being mm-hmm. at the table, being part of the discussion. So I highly recommend that book to, to anyone that wants to learn about the early days. But so because, because of this lack of, of literature on women in the industry, um, I, you know, started doing more and more research and saying, well, who were the first women? Who was the first woman? And I, of course, never could definitively pin that down, but I started, you know, finding these, these women who were among the first and what led to the, the book is breaking the gas ceiling, which I thought was a you know, clever play on words, Definitely, <laughs> whether it is or not, but, um, it, and it ended up focusing on women in the offshore industry. So, you know, if, if we talk about women, uh, you know, being a minority in the oil and gas industry, it's about 20%, depending on which survey or report you read, but women offshore make up only three, about 3.6% mark. So it's really, right really a small percentage and that number has not changed much over the years so i ended up finding about finding out about a scottish woman who was working offshore at the age of 72 my goodness <laughs> yes and i said i i have to know more about this woman like <laughs> You know, I mean, I, th- I think most of us typically think of our 70s as retirement age and, you know, you're going to do the things you wanted to do, maybe that you've put off and, and just kind of relax, spend time with your family, with the grandkids, maybe. And I thought, what in the world is this 72 year old woman doing offshore? You know, work, working on a platform in the middle of the North Sea. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So I, I her name is Pat Thompson. I have to give give Pat some recognition. So I got in touch with her. She, she, well, she is the catalyst for the book. I originally thought I would just do a chapter on offshore. And the more I talked to Pat, the more I thought, no, this is women offshore deserves its whole, its own book. And so that's why I ended up focusing on offshore and um, Pat and I became friends. She came to Texas and visited me and she really could write her own book. She just has an incredible life story. How do we get a copy of the book? Well, to be honest, probably the easiest way is Amazon. You know, you can pretty much find mm-hmm. anything there. And then I do have a, a website that is the same name as the book, breakingthegasceiling.com. And the book can, can be ordered there. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I think it's pretty easy to find. <laughs> and the sub theme is again. Uh... Women in the offshore oil and gas industry. Okay. That was that was what I chose to to focus on because it was such a, a much smaller percentage. But the interesting thing, Mark, when I started writing this, you know, I got about midway through and I realized that I had all white Western women in the book. And that's that's, you know, because offshore is a microcosm of the industry as a whole. And among women, white Western women were the first to enter the industry. And then, of course, the first to go offshore, um, you know, particularly Norwegian women, you know, were, were among the first to go offshore. And but I realized that was not the book that I wanted to write, just focusing on white Western women. And so it took a little more research, a little more digging, a little more time, but I was able to find a a wide variety of women. 
from various nationalities with you know the the background that I have living in the UAE I consider that my second home it was my son's birthplace and so I was bound and determined that I would have an Arab woman in the book because I think there are a lot of misperceptions surrounding Arab women mm-hmm. sure. and um, so I was very fortunate I ended up with not one Arab woman woman uh, excuse me not one Arab woman but two mm-hmm. and, and so um, I was I was very happy about that I have uh, some black women. There's a, a woman from uh, the UK, but also a couple of women actually from Africa. And, That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, African women who have uh, immigrated to other countries. There were two women who coincidentally were from Sudan, and they both ended up in Australia. So that was fascinating. And we have uh, some of the Mexican women from uh, Pemex Oil Company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or PMEX, as we tend to pronounce it. Right. <laughs> and so, but it, it wasn't only that, it was a variety of ages, it was diversity of nationalities and ethnicities, and also uh, roles in the industry, Mark, because we tend to think of the oil and gas industry as just a bunch of engineers. But I, I always like to say anything you can do outside of the energy industry, you can do inside of it. Well, I definitely encourage the listeners to pick up the book, order the book. And uh, do you have, I know you're, you must be an avid uh, reader as well. So do you have any uh, books you're reading now or you suggest for the listeners? <laughs> yes, reading and writing. <laughs> those, those are my life. <laughs> I understand. Um, yep, writers, writers tend to be readers. And like I said, when, when I first started researching my book, there were not very many books out there, particularly about women. I did buy a lot of books about men in the oil and gas industry just to get a better um, knowledge of the background and the history. And so there there are some fantastic books about the old wildcatters and things like that. There are some uh, very good books about uh, the beginning of the fracking industry, which is not something that's new, as a lot of people tend to think. That does go back, you know, fairly, fairly far in the industry. So there, there are good books about that, but, uh, and, and in the, um, oh, I guess it's been six years or so since I first started researching my book, a lot of uh, women have come out with other books. So there are some great books about women in the industry. There's one called Wildcat Women uh, by Carla Williams, and she wrote that about the women that worked on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Those mm-hmm. are fascinating stories. Robbie Grice, who is a um, geologist wrote a very comprehensive history uh, of 100 years of women in geology called Anomalies. And um, <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting title. And, uh, but right now I'm reading two, two things, one by man, one by woman. And um, the one by a woman I am fortunate to have received an advanced copy of, and that's called Gaslighted, How the Oil mm-hmm. and Gas Industry Shortchanges Women, Scientists. And that's by Christine Williams. And that'll be out, I believe, in September. You can probably pre-order that, you know. And then a second book, uh, which is called Why We Hate the Oil Companies. (laughs) Uh, And the subtitle of that, for anybody that sort of, you know, raised their hackles when when they heard that, Straight Talk from an Energy Insider. And it was written by John Hoffmeister, who you probably are familiar with. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. you, You may have even known him. He... Uh, did pass away recently, which is unfortunate. And he's the former CEO of Shell Oil. Mm-hmm. So 
What's interesting to me, Mark, is that both of the books critique the industry, but I I think we should be able to do that and and learn from these critiques instead of maybe being defensive because you know there is such a thing as constructive criticism. And and absolutely, John Hofmeister's book, you know, is is from somebody who worked in the industry, was very successful in the industry. And um, so I definitely think we can learn from his wisdom and insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I really like what you say, because, you know, the, and that's why we have National Energy Talk, because it's a dialogue. And uh, there's and even in the book that I wrote, American Needs America's Energy, there are so many pros and cons you know, of, of oil and gas, but also of solar and wind and others. I have to look at the full picture instead of just getting a, a partial picture of, of how we can, as the theme I have, striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation. Mm-hmm. And that's that leads me to what you're doing with uh, as editor-in-chief for mm-hmm. your, your magazine uh, and, and how that got uh, kicked off and what you're trying to achieve uh, and uh, again, it's Oil Woman Magazine. So please tell us about Oil Woman Magazine. Thank you. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity because I do want to uh, give full credit to the publisher whose name is Emmanuel Sullivan. And he's a, a wonderful gentleman who is based mm-hmm. in Houston. And he has a publication called Oil Man Magazine. Well, he has Oil Man and Oil Woman, but it started out as Oil Man. And that's actually a publication that's been around for a while. And I think I think maybe I could be wrong, Mark, but I think maybe you were even involved in it before Emmanuel Sullivan took over. That's right. They're in the early okay. days. That's right. Yes. Okay. I, th- I thought so. Yeah. So that's a publication that's been around for a while. And then seven, um, six or seven years ago, Emmanuel bought that publication and focused not, not so much on, on men in the energy industry, but it, it's more of a technical journal. And, mm-hmm. and that's not my background. Um, and so I was I was asked uh, by Emmanuel to write a profile of a woman in the energy industry for oil man. This was before oil woman existed. And I said, well, you know, I'm happy to do that. And I happen to know this person and I'd be glad to interview her. But, you know, I don't really think I'm the right person to write for your magazine (laughs) because (laughs) I don't have a technical background, you know. And um, he said, well, no, that's that's why I want you to write this story, because your your background is in writing human interest stories. And mm-hmm. you know, we want to mix it up a little bit and add a little bit more of that. So I said, well, that's great. That's fine. You know, I'll be happy to do it. And then I sort of jokingly said, well, you know, it's great that you have all man, but what about all woman? And I really was just half kidding, to be honest, because I felt like if there was somebody that was going to do that, it would have already been done, you know? And so I didn't really anticipate him being open to that because for one thing, uh, creating a magazine, publishing a magazine is a huge undertaking. And, and it's not just a, a print magazine that you hold in your hand, but there's an online platform and a lot goes into that. And then there's a digital edition and then there's the print edition. So, you know, it, it's, it involves a lot of things. And um, so anyway, time, time went on. And um, then in, I guess it was mid 2020. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. 
you know, and, and living in conditions that no one could have ever foreseen or anticipated. And Emmanuel contacts me and says, let's do all woman. <laughs> as you, as you can imagine, I almost fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> I just didn't expect him to create it that soon. And I certainly did not expect him to uh, start this up in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, as you said, we want to give all credit and recognition to Emmanuel and just, um, you know, really thank him for that's right going out on a limb, so to speak, and, and being willing to do this. I mean, it would have been difficult under the best of conditions. <laughs> no, he did take a leap. I mean, right in the middle, like you say, and did and uh, how encouraging is that uh, to think that now we're uh, seeing uh, a little light, I should say, or or much more light than we had a year ago, mm-hmm. is that, that the doors are opening and here we have a platform for not just men, but women as well. And uh, it's it's just a wonderful thing that he's done and you have done. I appreciate all that you've done to launch this as well, Rebecca. It's uh, it's definitely you and Emmanuel that have taken this on. and. Uh, and joined hands to make this work. Uh, it's 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 not easy even under normal or great conditions, much less facing the economic challenge that we have in the oil and gas industry. That's right. Well, and you know, and we we thank you, Mark. Uh, like I said, you've you've been aware of the publication and been involved with it. You're a contributor, and so we really appreciate your encouragement, your support, your belief in in what we're doing. And of course, now you're giving us the opportunity to share that with a wider audience on on your podcast. So we're very appreciative of all that you do. Well, I'm I'm interested in knowing more about, uh, I know the listeners are, about uh, women in energy in regard to, especially the oil and gas industry. And and do you have some stats to provide us that we can think about because you've already mentioned about the three percent or so on offshore and and how that compares to those uh, in a larger number that are uh, onshore, I guess you would say. But are there more specific stats? And also, not only that about uh, women in energy, but or oil and gas, but also uh, minorities uh, right. within women as well, because that's even uh, the sub or the the many, I guess you would say. Um, um, far as the breakout of stats. Uh, can you provide those that, that we can look and think about as yeah. uh, there, because there's, there's, there's some, some young woman or a, a woman that is thinking about uh, maybe a 72, 72 year old, <laughs> you know, different <laughs> ages, but all ages, you know, I should just say young women because a lot of times I do that and think, no, because there's a point in time you may, I want to be a, you know, I am in, or I want to be involved in the oil and gas industry, or I want to be involved in energy. And that should be looked at as, you know, all different ages, but also all different uh, as far as uh, minorities as well. And so uh, women and minorities. So please, if you will, expand on that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mark. Um, You know, and it does help put it into context. So as we've said, it depends on what survey you look at, what, you know, the criteria was, but women make up about 15 to to 22% of the industry. So I usually settle on 20% because that makes the math easy. (laughs) And then I always say, regardless which figure you use, we know it's not enough. Everything Mm -hmm. is not always going to be 50-50 in life. Maybe we wish it was, but but it needs to be better than 20%. Mm -hmm. And so then when you, you know, further break that down, women make up 14% of the board seats of energy companies. 
as we've already mentioned, is 3.6% of the offshore workforce, and it's about 7% of female CEOs in the energy industry. And that's that's in the US. And when you in, in when you go globally with that, women make up 1% of the CEOs in the energy industry. So it's really, really low. Um, I I should have some stats when you break that down, like you said, into the micro minorities. And I apologize, I couldn't put my hands on them uh, today, but I can get those for you. But I, you know, I do remember, of course, from research and and also some of the stories that we've done in the uh, in the magazine. You know, when you start talking about Black women and Hispanic women and Asian women and and Native American women, then those figures get much lower. Uh, I don't believe that any of them are more than 15% uh, of the women in the industry and, and some go, you know, even into single digits. So Mm -hmm. we are still very much lacking the diversity that we need to have in the industry. And the thing about that is, you know, it's been proven that having more diversity of, of all kinds, I mean, we're, we're talking specifically about women and, and the micro minorities, you know, among women, but also just all kinds of diversity improves the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's really something that companies should be striving for to, uh, particularly as we go into this energy transition, we need uh, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of innovation. And, you know, we've seen that in the downturns, Mark. Uh, you've been in this industry a long time, and right. you know that when there's a downturn, <laughs> mm-hmm. people suddenly get very creative and innovative and and think of new ways to do things. And so when we have that diversity, it'll it'll create a much stronger industry going forward. Well, you mentioned stronger industry, but you also mentioned energy transition. Mm-hmm. Right now, I mean, the public's looking at oil and gas industry. To some, it's it's being, you know, of course, demonized. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's the need for oil and gas, but there's also a generation ahead of us that's looking, hey, we need to look beyond potentially oil and gas to a hydrogen economy or electric vehicles or whatever might be involved. Mm-hmm. How do we educate to maintain that? Because there's a lot of you know, investment that needs to be involved really in the oil and gas industry as much as ever as far as infrastructure, but at the same time, there's the demand to say, let's move it now. Let's go on and get it. And then there's the environmental, social, and governance aspect that's out there as well. And so with that all said, how do you envision how Oil Woman Magazine, Oil Man Magazine, and, and you individually can encourage us to get to the next level? You know, we have to be, as an industry, we have to be transparent. We have to be open. We have to you know, share every, everybody is an energy consumer. So this affects everybody. Um, You know, so I think the more education that we put out there, one thing that I really like a trend that I've noticed is that uh, the CEOs of the oil and gas companies are becoming uh, more active on social media and I know there's a bit of a tendency to see social media as this frivolous thing, but it it's an excellent way in our day and age. Sometimes we have to embrace things that we don't necessarily like. <laughs> and uh, but it's kind of become, you know, uh, you could say it's a blessing and a curse, you know, and it's it's when used properly, 
it's a great way to spread information. And so I love the fact that that somebody like Bernard Looney, who's the CEO of BP, uh, you know, has has a LinkedIn account and posts on there. And it's it's not just him posting. He responds to people's uh comments and questions. And so I think it's great to make the leadership more open and accessible. I think we need to, just like the transition, we need to use every tool at our disposal, Mark. So things like what you're doing with this, with the podcast, you know, I think to have a wide variety of of guests from different sectors of the energy industry it gives mm-hmm. gives people a more balanced picture. And and I think when we do that, and and we do it in the magazine as well, even though it's called Oil Woman, we do cover the full spectrum of energy, whether right. that's re- renewables or utilities, which often, you know, get get forgotten in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a large percentage of of our electricity comes from natural gas, mm-hmm. and um, so that's you know that's an important thing to make people aware of. And then of course we also cover fossil fuels because. Most people that you talk to acknowledge that fossil fuels are going to continue to be a part of the mix for a long time to come. So I think we need to see how those industries can best work together, you know, for the benefit and, uh, you know, for all of us, because as I said, we're all energy consumers. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, you know, when I wrote the book, American Needs America's Energy, the sub theme was creating together the energy plan. Yes. And yeah. I think what you said is is uh, even better in that we have to come together. <laughs> it's not yeah. just to get together, it's coming together. And that's that takes a lot of effort because there seems to be a lot of, uh, of opinions right now uh, and different different outlooks. But how do we get across the table from each other and work this through? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a challenge. But you have a great platform with all a woman magazine, all man magazine. And how do how do individuals get involved? You know, of course, they can order it. I guess you can get the digital copy online. Is that correct? And uh, and then you can also get the, the hard copy. But is there a way to uh, get in touch with you directly uh, as far as uh, an email or a website? What's the best way to reach out to sure. both magazines? Sure. You know, we always want to hear people's ideas and comments, suggestions. We want to, you know, make this the best resource that we possibly can. And we can't know everything <laughs> about everybody. So I love it when someone brings, let's, you know, in this case, a woman to my attention that I have not been aware of before. And um, so, yes, I mean, they can, they can reach me at editor at allwomanmagazine.com. Emmanuel can be reached at publisher at allmanmagazine.com. And, and you know, if they're not, if, if they don't remember that or they're not writing it down, they can always go to the websites for either one, allmanmagazine.com, allwomanmagazine.com, and our contact info is on there. But um, we love, we love hearing people's stories and, um, you know, promotions, people that have been promoted within the industry, companies that have new and innovative ideas, companies that are creating new programs uh, for their employees. Because I I think the one thing that we've learned from this pandemic is that we've got to constantly be open to change 
and growing and evolving. And we can't, um, we do want to hang on to the good things from the past, but we can't be stuck in the past. You know, we can't, um, I have a client who has a very funny saying, and he's in the oil and gas industry. I do land work for him. And he says he'll, you know, have meetings with people and they'll say, well, this is the way we've done it for 30 years. And sometimes Mm -hmm. he says, yes, but you've been doing it wrong for 30 years. Good point. Right, right. You you can you can say 44 years. <laughs> <laughs> 44 years is right. That's well, right. You know, you're going to be uh, attending some conferences uh, or have conferences coming up, I should say, yes. in the next few months. Well, you know, NAEP is one of the big conferences and they call it the Deal Makers Conference. So you have a lot of people there buying and selling deals, oil and gas leases and things like that. And then there's also OTC, which is the Offshore Technology Conference. And because of the pandemic and things have changed and dates have changed, they have decided to do, it's not exactly a joint conference, but it's being held around the same time in mid-August. And then they have a couple of days that overlap. So, you know, I think that's a great opportunity for people that can come and can you know, see, see both of these conferences, uh, at the same time in, in one place and, you know, make, make all those contacts that you want to make and connections and, you know, that may possibly lead to some deals or just, uh, you know, people that you want to get to know and establish relationships with. So we will be at those, be at both and have representatives there. We are doing a special edition of the magazine for those conferences. So, um, we, you know, welcome anybody that's interested in participating in that special edition, uh, possibly as an advertiser. We we've got some material that we're going to use, but if they if they have a great idea uh, for editorial, we we are always interested in that sort of thing as well. And uh, some of us will be wandering around there, and you know, meeting people and and um, you know, making connections. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about advertising uh, because sponsorships. I know are essential to keep a magazine moving forward, but also getting the message out. It's a great tool when you have thousands of those on digital uh, that are looking at, uh, at at the magazine and so forth, but also at the conferences and other places. It gets the name of the companies uh, out to others, their messages out to others. And so, again, uh, I need to, for you to mention your, your, uh, your contact again, because when it comes to whether it's a speaking engagement, whether it's a sponsorship, uh, whether it's uh, getting the word out, uh, they need to know how to get a hold of Rebecca and Emmanuel. If you'll give that to us one more time, please. Uh, I, sure I sure will. Thank you, Mark. Um, so if they if they want to get in touch with me, it's editor at allwomanmagazine.com. And if they want to get hold of Emmanuel, it's publisher at allmanmagazine.com. And um, we wear a lot of hats at the magazine. They they could probably even contact you through your show, Mark. Mm-hmm, right, no question. You would be able to guide them. But we wear lots of hats, and so we're always open to editorial ideas, like you said, sponsorship and advertising. Um, you know, that's that's what enables us to to keep up in publishing and and showcasing these stories and uh, you know new new things and new information, things that are going on in the industry, and to have this platform. So we'd love, we'd love to hear from uh, your audience. Do you have a message that you would like to deliver to those in the oil and gas industry? I mean, we're, 
it's a very challenging time uh, for all of us, not knowing, of course, what the future holds, but knowing that there's got to be uh, definitely one gas for quite some time to get us through to the future uh, and be part of that future far as that goes. Well, you know, Mark, I've been really encouraged by the the women that I've I've interviewed and men too, you know, and that's the thing. It is not us against them. It is it is we, you know, it's all of us together, which is one of the I mean, I think that's really your your central message, your central theme. And that's what I love about your books and and the articles you write is that this is a collaborative effort. And we shouldn't exclude anyone. We need, you know, there's so much talk right now about the energy transition and how we're going to need all forms of energy. But the truth of the matter is we need all types of people to move forward with the energy transition and to continue having a successful energy industry with all that encompasses. Rebecca Ponton, uh, author, journalist, Editor-in-Chief of Oral Woman Magazine. We hope to have you back on our show. And, uh, and thank you so much for being on this episode of National Energy Talk. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, stay tuned, audience, to future episodes of National Energy Talk. <laughs>